Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. Today I want us to talk about the four essentials of the Christian faith. I think if you're a Christian, you have all four. Number one, baptism. Number two, temptation. Number three, repentance. And number four, faith. So I want you to ask yourself today, number one, have I been baptized? And if not, why not? Number two, temptation. Am I going through temptation? Number three, Repentance, not do I perfectly repent, but when I sin, do I repent? And number four, faith, not is my faith perfect, but do I generally trust God as my Father? Let's look at all four of these. Take out your Bible, if you will, and turn to Mark chapter 1, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray you would send your Holy Spirit now to be our teacher, open our ears, open our hearts, open my mouth, and Lord, speak to us now from Mark chapter 1. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Baptism. Let's look at Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 9. And it came about in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. The question that has puzzled theologians for 2,000 years is, why was the sinless Jesus baptized because baptism is to wash your sins away but we know from hebrews chapter 4 second corinthians chapter 5 jesus didn't have any sins he was perfect so why is he getting baptized well most of the commentators i read said this and i think this is the right answer jesus was baptized to identify with sinners the reason Jesus was baptized is the same reason he died on the cross. He didn't have any sins of his own to die for, so he died for our sins on the cross. He didn't have any sins of his own to get washed away for baptism in baptism, so he gets, as our substitute, he identifies with and, and washes our sins away through his baptism. There's something in, the, in Christian theology called the substitutionary atonement of Christ, which means... I'm a sinner, I deserve the wrath of God, Jesus is my substitute, he takes my punishment for me because he had no sin of his own. Same, and, and that happens on the cross, but three years before the cross, Jesus is baptized and that foreshadows the fact he's going to make substitution by identifying with sinners. I want us to take a minute and talk about baptism. There are two errors we need to avoid when it comes to baptism. Error number one is baptism is everything. I'm a Lutheran. This tends to be a Lutheran and a Catholic problem. That, you know, somebody said, I went to my Uncle Joe's funeral. Uncle Joe was a godless man, had no use for God in his life. But the priest put Uncle Joe in heaven because he was baptized as a baby. And this person said, is that right, Pastor Tom? And I said, no, that isn't right. There's a very liberal Lutheran bishop who's done a lot of damage in the church. And I heard him speak once in front of a large crowd, and he talked about his son who is on drugs. 
But he said to the crowd, it troubles me, yes, that my son is on drugs, but I take comfort in the fact that I know my son was baptized. In other words, you can live in impenitent sin. You don't need to follow Christ. As long as you've been baptized, you're saved. Is that right? No. And here's what we say to baptismal error number one. Jesus said in Matthew 24, He who endures to the end will be saved. It's not enough to get baptized. You need to maintain your faith in Christ to the end to be saved. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Hitler was baptized. Mussolini was baptized. We don't think they made it. That's baptismal error number one. Baptism is everything. But baptismal error number two is just as bad, which is baptism is nothing. <laughs> so I was talking to a young Christian woman and uh, she's a convert to Christianity. I said, uh, well, when did you get baptized? Oh, I've never been baptized. I, I believe in Christ, that's all I need. The Bible doesn't teach that. I mean, Salvation Army, does a wonderful work with the poor. But do you know that salvation, the Salvation Army does not believe in water baptism or taking Holy Communion? Well, what do we say to people that don't think they need to get baptized? Here, here's what we say to baptismal error number two. Baptism is nothing. Jesus' last words on the planet were, Disciples, go ye therefore baptizing. We are commanded to be baptized. Uh, Acts chapter 2 says, Acts 22 says, Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, washing away all of your sins. So, you know, don't under, overestimate baptism, but don't underestimate it either. God does wonderful things when you're baptized. Let me quickly share four. Number one, rise and be baptized, washing away your sins. Number two, uh, it clothes us in Christ, according to Galatians chapter three. Uh, Acts chapter two, be baptized, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then number four, we are buried and raised with Christ in our baptism, Romans chapter six. So. Great things happen in baptism. If you've never been baptized, I encourage you to start going to a good church every week and say, Pastor, time for me to get baptized. It's the first essential of the Christian life. Look at verse 10. And immediately coming up out of the water, Jesus saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. Here's the next lesson. Don't try to serve God without the Holy Spirit. Jesus is about 30 years old when he gets baptized. And then after that, for three years, he does his public ministry. All the healings and exorcisms happens in a three-year period of time. Jesus is going to need the Holy Spirit for these next three years. And the Spirit comes upon him in baptism. Now... We know Jesus had the Holy Spirit before he was baptized because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. But there's kind of an, a special anointing now for the next three years. Jesus is going to need the Holy Spirit. Us too. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Without the Holy Spirit, you can do nothing. I'm baptized. I have the Holy Spirit. I don't think the Holy Spirit will ever leave me. But the Bible does say I can quench the Holy Spirit. I can grieve the Holy Spirit. So regularly I pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit today so I can be of value. Look at verse 11. And a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Here's the next lesson. It is important for fathers 
to affirm their children. At the baptism of Christ, God the Father affirms God the Son as he starts his three years of ministry. Let me ask you the question. Did you get affirmed by your dad when you grew up? So many kids never hear the words, good job, from their father, and they start looking for love in all the wrong places. Listen, Dad, you are crucial. Affirm your children. Praise your children when they do something right. And, and if Dad won't do it, Grandpa, you step in. But we all need good affirmation from our fathers. Look at verse 12. And immediately the Spirit impelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Here's the next lesson. Sometimes a time of trial is Spirit-led. The devil tempts, not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does test. And in this verse, the Holy Spirit moves Jesus to go into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Sometimes a time of testing is from the Lord. I mean, I, I remember years ago saying to a friend of mine, oh, the devil's really beating me up in this certain area. And he said, don't give the devil so much credit. He said, I think God is at work in you in that area. <laughs> There's a saying, temptation is a man's opportunity to fly his colors for Christ. In other words, if you never get tempted, you never have the opportunity to take a stand for the Lord. Um, uh, St. Ambrose said in the year 380 or so, the devil tempts that he may ruin. God tests that he may crown. And the meaning there is one event can be both a temptation from the devil and a test from God. Uh, for instance, let's say a tragedy happens, your five-year-old child is run over by a car and killed. That's a temptation from the devil. Well, are you going to go to church now after God let that happen? And rah, rah, rah. But it's also a test from God. Child, will you cling to me even through this ordeal? So next time you go through a trial or a temptation, don't just ask, what's the devil doing? Also ask, how is the Holy Spirit at work in this? Look at verse 13. Jesus was driven into the desert to be tempted. Here's the next lesson. Temptation is part of the Christian life. I used to think years ago that the older you grow in Christ, the more mature you get, the less you'll be tempted. <laughs> I believe the opposite now. The closer you get to Christ, the more you get tempted because the devil works on you harder. <laughs> I, I remember years ago a seminary professor teaching something that I didn't agree with at the time. What he taught was, quote, the older you get, the worse your flesh gets. And I didn't, I thought, well, no, you grow in sanctification in the Holy Spirit. I think maybe he has a point. I don't want to deny sanctification. Yes, as we grow in Christ by the Holy Spirit, we do get more holy. But your flesh, your evil human nature, that never gets better as long as you live. And all you can do every day is kill that thing. <laughs> I remember a man of our congregation who had 15 years of sobriety. And he died. We had the funeral. But even though he had 15 years of sobriety, 
he still went to his AA meeting every Friday night because he knew he had to battle his flesh. Temptation is part of the Christian life. It doesn't stop until you're dead and in the grave. Then temptation stops. Look at verse 13. Jesus is being tempted by the devil, and he was with the wild beasts, and angels came and ministered to him. Here's the next lesson. Satan and angels are real. There is a very liberal congregational church here in Minneapolis. I went to it once. That was enough. And the preacher got up to preach on the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And the preacher said, well, I have a problem preaching on this text because I don't believe in the devil. And he preached and you could tell he thought he was too intelligent to believe in the devil. I saw the devil all over that church service. Listen to the prayer they pray at that church. O Allah, Jehovah, Goddess, Unknown One, you have many names. Well, Satan and angels are real. And, and look at verse 14. And after John the Baptist had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee. Here's the next lesson. There are apparent defeats in the kingdom of God. You probably know the story. John the Baptist gets arrested and beheaded for preaching against King Herod's incest and adultery. There are apparent defeats in the Christian church through for the last 2,000 years. Um, why does God let certain things, why does God let Christians be beheaded in Turkey and in, in parts of Afghanistan? Why does God allow these defeats? We don't know all of the answer, but our job is to trust the second half of verse 14. John the Baptist is beheaded, but look at the very next words. After John was taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee. Here's the next lesson. Trust the work will go on. John the Baptist may be dead, but now Jesus shows up. Trust that if they kill the church, God will make this thing go on. <laughs> Let me just share with you a very special memory. When I came to Minneapolis way back in the early 80s, I worked with an old pastor by the name of Maynard Force. He was dying of bone cancer. And I was very young, just newly a pastor. And I remember some, some of us conservative pastors were going out the door to our liberal bishop's office where uh, we were going to have to do battle with, for the faith. And I remember Maynard saying, oh, I wish I could be with you men for this last battle for the church. Well, Maynard was dying, and I went out to his house to visit him, and he said, Tom, would you get on your knees? And I got on my knees, and he put his hands on my shoulders, and Maynard prayed his mantle over me, that God would make the work go on. That did something to me. Maynard died, but I became this person that I don't know that I was before, and I would go to our liberal Lutheran conventions and say, why are we paying for abortions with offering dollars in the ELCA Lutheran Church? Why, are, why is the bishop's office promoting homosexuality? I became this guy that I don't know that I quite was before that happened. And the point is, John the Baptist is dead, but Jesus comes in, and parents have got to learn this. I, here's a lady that says, you know, Pastor Brock, my daughter's not a Christian. I, I witnessed to her, but now she moved to Oregon, and now who's going to witness to her? And, and I made the point to her, trust 
that the work will go on. God can bring her somebody in Oregon. I remember when we left seminary, we're going to go to our first church. I remember a professor saying, now remember, young people, that when you arrive for the first time at your new church, the kingdom of God is not arriving for the first time with you. <laughs> Look at verse 15. And Jesus came preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's the next lesson. The kingdom of God is present and future. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, you're praying present tense, may it come and, and bring salvation on earth, but future tense, may it come at the end of time. Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is here. It's me. He's talking about the present tense at this time that the kingdom of God has come. Look at verse 15 again. The kingdom of the time is fulfilled. Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Do you know what the word repent means? Literally, it means to change your mind. Repent means to change your mind and your behavior. And if somebody says, I'm a Christian, but there's no change of their behavior, there's no change of their worldview, well, then they're not a Christian. I have a very liberal relative. And I remember she said in front of her teenage daughter that she didn't think anything was wrong with living together before marriage. And she goes to church. And I said to this relative of mine, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, fornicators don't go to heaven. I said in front of her daughter, you, you know, if you're living, and she said, well, no, but as long as you believeth and are baptized, you shall be saved. And I said, yeah, but if you're living in impenitent sin, you don't believeth. So repentance is part of the Christian life. We all sin. But when you sin, do you repent? Or do you live in it? If you're living in it, you're not a believer. Look at verse 15. The gospel is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Here's the next lesson. The word believe in means to trust. And the main thing Jesus will do for his three years of ministry is to say, don't trust the world, don't trust the devil, don't trust yourself, trust the Father. There's a story that a group of tourists were on a steam liner on vacation in the St. Lawrence River sightseeing. And even though there was a fog, the captain was going full steam ahead. Some of the passengers were getting upset. One runs up to the first mate, why doesn't he slow this boat down? And, and the first mate pointed up to the captain who was in the loft and he says, this is a low-lying fog. We can't see, but the, the captain can see everything ahead. We're fine. <laughs> That's the definition of faith. Faith is saying, God, I don't understand this. I'm in the fog, but I trust you're up there. You're directing my life. I'm trusting you to take care of this. There was a woman that called the pastor very frantic about something, and, and she's unloading her, her sorrows and, and anxiety, and the pastor can hear a little child in the background playing. And he said, is your daughter in the room? Yes. Is your daughter worried about all this like you are? Well, no. Well, why isn't she worried? Well, I suppose she puts her trust in me to worry for her. And the pastor said, you do that too. Go and get on your knees in your bedroom, lift your sorrows up to the Lord, and let God worry about all this for you. That's what the word trust means. You trust him 
not yourself. Many years ago, there was a famous tightrope walker by the name of Blondin. He would put a balancing beam in his mouth and he would walk on a wire over Niagara Falls. Sometimes he would also put a wheelbarrow and he would wheel the wheelbarrow across the falls. One day he did that and he got to the other side and a large crowd cheered. Here's a little boy. Uh, he said, little boy, do you think I could do that again and pa pass the wheelbarrow back to the other side? Oh, yes, sir. Well, little boy, uh, do you think if I put you in the wheelbarrow, I could get you to the other side? Oh, yes, sir. And the blonde man said, okay, little boy, jump in. No, sir. <laughs> you know what the definition of faith is? Faith is not that I just believe God exists and there's a wheelbarrow somewhere. Faith is I'm going to get into God's wheelbarrow. I'm going to trust God to get me across. Here's another story of what faith means. Some tourists were being taken through the U.S. Mint. There's all this molten uh, metal that's going to make the coins. And the tour guide says to the group, do you know if you take your hand and dip it in water, I can take the ladle and pour molten metal onto your palm and you won't get burnt. And he said to one of the men in the group, do you believe that? And he said, yes. Well, do you want me to do it? And he said, no. And his wife said, I do. And his wife dipped her hand into the water. They pulled molten metal on her palm. She was fine. And the tour guide said to the husband, you believed, but your wife trusted. Point being, lots of people believe Jesus exists. The devil believes Jesus exists. That doesn't save you. What saves you is you say, okay, Lord, I'm getting in your wheelbarrow. I'm going to trust you with my life. That's what saving faith is. Do you ever wonder how God could be the Trinity, one God and still yet three persons? And John Wesley, founder of Methodism, said, Bring me a worm who can comprehend a man, and then I will show you a man that can comprehend the Trinity. And Wesley's point was this, there's so much about God we don't understand. <laughs> Our job is not to understand everything. Our job is to trust, to get in the wheelbarrow, to trust the Word of God, trust that He can see further beyond the fog that I can, and to give Him my life. All right, let's close now with the original question. Do you have the four essentials of the Christian life in your life? Number one, have you been baptized? And if not, go to a good church and say, Pastor, time for me to get baptized. Question number two, are you being tempted? That doesn't mean you're not a Christian. That means you are one and the devil doesn't like it. Uh, number three, do you have repentance? Not as your faith, not as your repentance perfect, but when you sin, do you repent? And number four, do you have faith? Do you trust that God can see higher than you, so you're going to trust your life into his hands and not try to run it yourself? That is what a Christian is. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, my first question today in light of your sermon is, can you be saved if you're not baptized? Well, Jackie, there is an exception in the New Testament, the thief on the cross. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't have time to come down from the cross and get baptized. So it's not that God can't make exceptions, 
but the overwhelming norm of the New Testament is when you come to Christ, you get baptized. And so baptism is hugely important. We're commanded to be baptized. Okay. Why do some churches baptize babies and some don't and some will only, you know, baptize adults? Yeah. Just got this question from one of our viewers. And uh, most Christians for 2,000 years, like I'm going to guess 90%, if you include Catholicism, the Orthodox, and, and most Protestants, most most. Uh, Christians baptize children because it never says in the Bible you have to be a certain age. You have to be 16 or 7 before you're baptized. And in the New Testament, whole households were baptized. You got to think that includes children. And then in Colossians chapter 2, Paul likens baptism with circumcision. And in the Old Testament, you got circumcised. New Testament, you get baptized. Well, in the Old Testament, Eight-day-old baby boys were circumcised. So, there, and you know, I, the, my Baptist friends will say, "Yeah, but you got to believe first, and then repent and be baptized." We say that to adults, and we do. But then, when those adults were baptized in the Book of Acts, their whole household was baptized. So, uh, that's my quick nutshell defense of infant baptism. Uh, Baptists and I disagree. I love the Baptists. I went to a Baptist school, but I, I disagree with them on that one. Okay, pa Pastor Tom, I was baptized as an infant, but now I'm an adult. Mm -hmm. And there are some people who, when they reach adulthood, want to be baptized mm -hmm. again. Yeah. Is that wrong, or Jackie, are this they lacking in faith? Right, or? Jackie, this Sunday, I went to a Baptist church, and the, bap the preacher gets up, and, he, and I don't think this is Baptist theology. I think this guy was wrong to say this. But he said, well, we're going to go to the uh, lake and get baptized this next month. Maybe you've been baptized before, but come and let's, let's do it again. Let's do it in the lake. Eh. The, the Colossians says we believe in one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You don't get baptized two or three or four times. You get baptized once. So if somebody comes to me and they, they were baptized as an infant or as an adult and they want to do it a second time for whatever reason, I tell them, no, your, your one baptism is enough. Okay. Is there any advice you have on overcoming temptation? Yeah, we talked about temptation today and knowing the Word of God. Every time the devil tried to tempt Jesus, Jesus quoted the Bible that the devil so there was that. There's also get an accountability partner. Have somebody in your life that's holding you accountable, praying for you, and you check in with every week. We want to thank you for being with us this week at the pastor's study. We pray that God will be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're all together again next time. God bless. Thank you for watching the pastor's study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the pastor's study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. 
May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.